0: Hey everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns the Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, today's our Bible episode, very exciting. This is a really good section of the Bible, actually. I don't know if I've ever read First Kings or Second Kings, like at least straight through, because there's very good parts in there, you know, about specific kings like David and Solomon <clears throat> and things like that, but I don't know if I've ever gotten into the chain of uh, kings once the kingdom splits or really... I'm not even sure if I appreciated ever that the kingdom does split. So the tribes of Benjamin and Judah split into one section, and the other 10 tribes split into another during this section of the Bible. So um, if you haven't read this yet and you are following along, I would highly recommend going and pulling up a diagram on uh, Google and just looking at a diagram of the kings and when the kingdom splits and then because you're looking at two stories in parallel here. One um, is with the, you know, the tribe of Judah and one is the the king of Israel and they run in parallel. And sometimes like they talk about something that pertains to the king of Judah, you know, and it also like the story includes the king of Israel, but then they haven't said yet how the king of Israel reigns. So I don't know if that made any sense, basically, Up until then in the story the king of israel had been one guy and then it says like okay 20 years later when the king of judah did this with the king of israel who is a different guy and you're like what and then four paragraphs later it kind of backs up and tells you when that king became king and so anyway i would highly recommend again to go to a diagram i'll link one in the show notes so you can just go easily because i found this great one that tells you know the combined or the kings of the combined kingdom then it tells when it's split and then it talks about um or it shows the time period that each king ruled and if they did good or evil in the sight of the lord because that is a big deal in this one like half of the kings were very evil and worshiped other gods and so it shows who was good and who was evil in this uh diagram so um quick update though before we get into the actual bible verses is i am getting an actual legitimate camera and i am very very excited about this and this doesn't seem like that big of a deal but this means that we can have video now on our podcasts so if you listen to spotify or apple or one of those it's probably not gonna make too big of a difference but if you are a person that likes to watch podcast on YouTube that should hopefully be happening by Monday so our Monday episode should be a video version online that is if I get the camera which is supposed to come to come tomorrow and if I can figure out the camera and get it uploaded by Monday but I'm hoping to to shoot the episode on like Saturday Sunday and upload it Monday on video on YouTube the other thing that kind of comes along with that is I did at one point try to, to start uploading some YouTube uh, videos which I liked and I enjoyed but I did it for my phone, I did it with this like external mic and I tried to do it without any edits and have it more like a podcast but just like a shorter podcast. I don't know if that's like the YouTube audience so um, I took those down but I do have an idea of like what I want my pod or my YouTube channel to be and it's kind of along the same lines of like you know faith, politics, history sort of topics that I'd learn about so some of it might go off the podcast but be like a shorter 10 minute snippet version. But other stuff that I wanna do is kind of like in the lifestyle category. Like I really like to watch some lifestyle um, stuff, but the part I don't like about that is there's nothing like meaty. There's nothing to learn in there. Um, So I wanna combine like educational videos and more lifestyle videos. Um, For example, like I want to learn how to sew better. So I wanna do a video you know and like a bunch of lifestyle videos that i like to go look at are like thrifting videos well i've never gone thrifting pretty much in my life so i think it would be fun to do like a thrifting challenge and use it as an opportunity to try to learn how to sew and kind of document it you know stuff like that so it's gonna be a mix i'm sure i'll hone it in as time goes on but i will let you know when that youtube channel is up when it's live when videos are going up so I'm very excited about it though I think it's gonna be really really fun um okay that's enough of that that's enough of a life update and my face is healing well (laughs) my knee is healing well so that's great if you haven't heard you know last podcast i went over the story of my bike crash and how i got stitches in my face but good news is they're they're looking great they're healing up just fine so let's get into the bible stuff for today okay so we're going from first kings 10 to second kings 9 so in first kings 10 the queen of sheba comes and tests solomon with some hard questions because as we kind of left off with last time he's solomon asked for wisdom from god and he started ending up being blessed with all this wealth. But people from far and wide, it said, were coming to hear his wisdom and to basically see him. Because this was the wisest guy um, ever. So the Queen of Sheba was overwhelmed by his wisdom and his uh, his wealth, since he had all this wealth now. And she gave him 120 talents of gold, um, which is I I didn't know how much a talent was. A talent is so much bigger than I thought. I I saw like when someone said, um, give me a talent, because that happened quite a few times. I imagine it being like a big, like five pound bag of rice, sort of, maybe maybe like a 20 pound bag of rice. Um, Yeah, I figured it was like about that big but it was actually 110 pounds of of gold. It, they said it was like a, roughly the size of a person. And so that's a ton of gold. She gave her him 120 of those. And then it said yearly Solomon got 666 uh talents from I believe that's from just hearing people's like issues and then deciding on them like he did with the prostitutes um, with the the sons, you know, he would hear like a dilemma and then give his wisdom and then they would give him gold, uh, in return. And that's part of the reason why he was so wealthy because he would hear all these people and, and give them wisdom, but he got 666 talents, which is a ton each year, just from hearing the, the people's issues basically. And it said that that did not include revenues from merchants or traders or from the Arabian Kings or governors. So he like was raking it in it said he was the richest king on earth and he made everything in his palace gold so he had like a gold um what's it called a throne he had a gold throne he had gold like cups gold shields gold everything so he was very very rich uh okay first kings 11 it did say this is kind of Funny to me. I don't know. Like they hype up how wise and how amazing and how all of this, how great Solomon was for so long. And then they just go, well, everyone has a downfall and his was foreign women. (laughs) And so he had 700 wives from foreign lands, basically, and they led him to false gods. And important reminder it is important who you marry. And if you have 700 people. Well, okay, I guess my my theory and what I've been told as advice is the person who you marry is going to lead you to God or away from God. And he had 700 wives that led him away from God. (laughs) And they led him towards these false gods, idols, Baal, different, you know, all these different gods, but not the one true God. So because of this, God said that he will rip away the kingdom and give it to one of Solomon's subordinates. But because of his love for David, uh, Solomon's dad, God would not do that during Solomon's lifetime. He would do it during his son's lifetime. So then God raised up adversaries against David and uh, they were named Hadad and Razan. If I pronounce any of this wrong, I'm very sorry. This is just the beginning. There are so many names and places in this to try to pronounce. So I am 100% sure I will be mispronouncing some. And you know what the worst thing is, is I go in the Bible app and I make sure I have it down, like how to say it. But by the time I take notes and record this, like the pronunciation that I have learned is just gone. And I just say it wrong. So maybe I need to do like a key before um, in my notes with like a phonetic pronunciation of all these but anyway okay so he caused a uh, god caused adversaries to raise up and this is basically the start of like Israel then fighting with surrounding areas so Razan ruled in Aram uh, or Aram and Aram was then hostile towards Israel all throughout Solomon's lifetime and you can see like as we keep going Aram will be quite the place that's always fighting um and then hadad married pharaoh's wife's sister so like pharaoh's sister-in-law in in egypt so they started fighting basically and that he was centered out of egypt um actually i think he came back from egypt he was staying in egypt for like a short amount of time but anyway so there's two there's now two adversaries okay and then jeroboam rebels against solomon so there is this whole prophecy that we see where Ehija, or no Ahijah, is a prophet, and he's wearing a new cloak. Um, he Jeroboam is is like traveling, and this prophet runs into him on the road. He rips his cloak into twelve pieces and gives ten of them to Jeroboam, and he says, "One of like you will take these ten tribes, and one of them will stay with Solomon." So I believe, because I was confused why they didn't really like divvy up the 12, I saw a Bible commentary that said that the capital of Judah was basically a given um, to stay with Solomon because it was the capital city, and so that one stays loyal to Solomon. And so the other one was Benjamin that would go over and ally with Solomon, but then the other 10 would fall to Jeroboam. Um, Then Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam because... You know because of this like prophecy that happened because of all of this and then Solomon reigned for 40 years he died and his son Rehoboam succeeded him as king so now we have still a United Kingdom under Rehoboam but things are getting a little sketchy with Jeroboam here so okay first Kings 12 Jeroboam led a group saying hey uh, your father Solomon Put a heavy yoke on us. There was a lot of harsh labor. There was a lot of, like, forced, I don't know, it was just a heavy, heavy yoke, it said. And so they wanted it to lighten the harsh labor. Well, Jeroboam, or sorry, Rehoboam went and got advice from two groups of people. One were elders, and then there was a group of young men. And the elders said, yes, you should lighten the load. Like, you should go back and say, um, I'll make your, your yoke lighter. But the young people said, no, you should go back and say, I'm going to make like, remember my father's harsh load. I'm going to make it even worse. And so he was basically a fool. And he went and said, he followed the young men's advice instead of the elder's advice, which, you know, you can tell is not going to turn out that well. Like it's probably good to follow elder's advice, just throwing it out there. Um, But because of this, Israel went into rebellion led by Jeroboam. So this is where the 10 tribes actually did split off and stayed loyal to Jeroboam. And then Benjamin and Judah were part of, or were um, loyal to Rehoboam. If you hear my cat in the background, he is throwing a fit right now. Um, Okay, so then Jeroboam didn't want to have people switch sides by going to high places to worship. Now, the reason for this was... All the places to worship were in jerusalem which was in rehoboam's like new territory basically so he didn't want people to go worship there see jerusalem and all the people that were loyal to rehoboam and then have an opportunity to basically like switch allegiances to rehoboam and leave jeroboam's area and so he ended up making two golden calves for people and set them up in two of his cities in his territory and then started having people go worship there and then he also made his own festival just like because he wanted to not for any day or any remembrance or anything like it wasn't a festival that god had ordained it wasn't a festival that even anything it was like remembering anything he just like set one up which if you read the importance of festivals you know <coughs> whoa um earlier in the old testament this is like not okay okay. First Kings 13. So there was a man of God from Judah. He prophesied to Jeroboam saying that, uh, someone, uh, son will be born named Josiah, uh, that Josiah will be born to the house of David. And it says on you, he will sacrifice priests of the high places who make offerings here. So he went to like the false, um, you know, the false altars to these bad high places. Um, Okay, so there was a prophecy, Josiah, House of David, he will sacrifice all the priests of these high places. Okay, so then he said that there will be a sign that this is true, and the altar is going to split apart. Jeroboam, once he heard this, did not like it, obviously. He stretched out his hand and pointed and said, seize him, about the prophet. And his hand immediately shriveled up, the altar split in half, and ashes poured out from the sky. And that was the sign that it was true. So there Jeroboam is with this shriveled hand, and after this altar split, the king asked the man of God to intercede, that his hand would be healed, and it was, his hand was healed. But all of that did not stop him from continuing having these high places, you know, and all of this. Then there's this whole story that, like, right after his hand is healed, that the the Bible goes into then and said the man of God was commanded like the man of God left um, because he was commanded not to eat or drink from Jeroboam so once Jeroboam's hand was healed he like really wanted to you know as a sign of like a thank you basically he wanted to go take the man back to eat and drink at his house and the man of God said no I was commanded from God not to eat or drink and so he left so another prophet came chased him down the road and said, Hey, I actually heard from God and I'm a prophet too. And I heard from God that you must eat and drink. So the man of God, the original, original prophet <clears throat> came back and ate. Um, The one who had chased him down, very ironic. The one who chased him down, he like heard from God during the dinner and t- said that the original man of God sinned and, you know, and that he would die, I think. Well, I think the prophecy was that he would die, but either way, he he did die. He, once um, the man of God left the city, a lion ate him, and he died. So, you know, there, the nerve-wracking thing about all this, the thing that, I guess, makes me nervous, is the fact that there are prophets, there are a lot of prophets, especially in Kings, But there's like prophets of Baal, there's prophets of the real God. Then there's this story which we'll see where they ask a bunch of prophets, I thought of God, not of Baal, and they are deceived by a spirit. Like part of God's plan was that um, there was a deceiving spirit that was put in the prophet's words and only one of the prophets had the correct like wisdom and insight from God. The rest was a deceiving spirit. So I guess that's nerve wracking to me is that some prophets can come and look like they're doing pretty good things and say like, Hey, I'm a prophet because the, the guy who, who then tricked the original man of God into eating and drinking was truly a, an actual prophet like, but then he lied. <laughs> so that is not good. So we have to be constantly checking things against the word of, of God um, and not just really relying on what a prophet says. Um, so yeah, that's important, I guess, to to know. But it's still kind of nerve wracking that that can happen so readily, and it happens so many times in in the books of Kings. So anyway, okay, First Kings fourteen, Jeroboam's son Abijah is sick. He sent out his wife to talk to a prophet to see if the boy will live. And he said, okay, go disguise so you don't they don't know who you are. But um Ahijah, they have very similar names. Ahijah is the prophet, and he's very old. He's blind from old age. And so the plan was that um Jeroboam's wife would dress up and, in disguise so that the prophet couldn't tell who she was and basically who she was asking about. But God told Ahija immediately um who it was. So he pulled this boss move where as soon as she was just like walking up to the door, basically, he goes, Um, why is Jeroboam's wife here? <laughs> and basically called her out. Um But it is bad news. Jeroboam is more evil than all of the rest of the kings, and the boy is going to die. Israel is gonna be scattered. So um that is true. As soon as the wife gets back into the city, the son dies. And then later Jeroboam dies, Nadab, his son, then succeeds him as king. Okay, well, then it flashes back to Judah. It says Judah has also sinned. There's false gods. There's male shrine prostitutes. And so everything, kind of both sides are now bad. Um, the king of Egypt then attacked Israel and took a bunch of gold. And so they had to replace <clears throat> replace these, like, golden shields um, with bronze ones, which I think is significant because of Solomon's wealth and how they're kind of like losing it now. But I guess I didn't really understand the symbolism of like, Hey, they took 20 gold shields and we had to replace them with 20 bronze shields. I'm assuming it's just Israel's getting weaker and about to kind of scatter. Um, okay. Then Rehoboam died and Abijah, his son succeeded him as King, which If you go up, like what we just talked about with Jeroboam's son, also named Abijah. So that gets confusing because they both have sons named Abijah. And then the prophet's name is um, Ahijah. (laughs) So uh, yeah, this is why I got confused. I really had to write this out to be uh, like transparent. I already tried to record this, but then I had tried to handwrite my notes, which I've done like a handful of times. But when you try to handwrite your notes, I take shortcuts and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to remember this because it's just such a short turnaround turnaround from reading to recording. So I tried to say things like, oh, like this is the story with the flower and the oil or whatever. And then I tried to talk about it on the podcast and I was like bumbling over all my words and was like, uh yeah oh I think I remember now so anyway I just stopped that like I trashed that recording I went back and like filled in the gaps and so highly recommend if you actually want to remember any stories to just write the notes on the computer because I can type at least for me I can type way faster than I can write so I got a lot of details now (laughs) Um, okay we're at 1 Kings 15 Abijah became who is Solomon's Uh, or sorry, who is Rehoboam's son, becomes the king of Judah, and he is not devoted to God. But again, for David's sake, God shows mercy and says that he is going to make Jerusalem strong. But there was war between him and Jeroboam his entire life. Asa then succeeded him, and Asa actually did what was right. He did not follow in his father's footsteps. He did what was right. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes, and he got rid of idols. So there was war between Asa and Basha, um, their entire reigns. And this is an example of where you're like, where did Basha come in? I've never even heard of him. But it says that Basha is the king of Israel and Asa is the king of Judah. Well, we've never heard of Basha. Okay, later in this chapter, it goes back and tells how Basha became king. So if you have never heard that, name before, you are not alone. Um, but there was war between Asa and Basha, their entire reigns. I don't know if Basha is how you pronounce it It might be Basha, but I'm going with Basha. Um, okay. Okay. So basically they were at war, Asa and Basha and Aram was in a treaty with the tribe of Israel who, whose King was Basha. So Asa, King of Israel, uh, Judah made a treaty with Aram, um, and the king of Aram for peace, so that it basically stole an ally, <clears throat> an ally from the king of Israel and from Basha, and so Basha withdrew the army of Israel from the army of Judah. So. It was basically two against one until uh, the one made a treaty with one of the other two and then it was all even and everyone withdrew so like I said this gets very confusing this is why I had to have diagram diagrams Um, but okay so then it goes back to like it flashes back to getting to the point where Basha is then um, king so Nadab was king of Israel and let's see who he succeeded. So he he succeeded Jeroboam. So Nadab succeeded Jeroboam. He was the king of Israel and he was very evil. Then uh, Basha ended up killing Nadab and then killed uh, Nadab's entire family. Um, And this is a common theme too. When a new king came in, they tended to completely obliterate the old king's whole family. So honestly, like being the king's family was a risky position because a lot of them, like one of them that was coming up only reigned for seven days and then his whole family like got killed, I think. So, um, okay. First Kings 16, there was a prophecy to Jehu um, that the house of Basha will be wiped out. Um, Basha's son named Elah is now the king. Um, and then Zimri, one of Elah's officials plotted against Elah and killed Zimri and became king. So this is like a quick succession of a bunch of kings of Israel. They all killed each other. So, um, well, I guess elah was basha's son was king and then zimri killed elah and again uh as soon as zimri became king he killed off basha's entire family um zimri reigned seven days then the people of israel heard that zimri had killed elah and so they appointed um omri as king who was an, an army commander once he heard this, once Zimri heard this, he basically killed himself. So he was only reigning for seven days. But since he got his kingdom in like a very bad way by murdering um, Ela, the people didn't like that. They named Omri king and then Zimri set fire to the palace he was in and died. Um, so Omri's a new king. <clears throat> he was very evil. And then once he died, his son Ahab succeeded him as king. Which Ahab is one of the ones that we follow for quite a long time. Okay, and then First Kings 17, Elijah prophesies a great drought, that there will be no dew or rain except at his word. And then Elijah was told to go hide in a ravine, and God told him that the ravens will feed him. He was then told to go to a different town, and a widow would supply him with food, even in the midst of a very big drought. And because there was a big drought, there was this miracle of feeding, um, like where he was fed and she was fed with just a small amount of food basically. So what happened is there's this big drought. He goes to the town, he meets this widow and she says like, can I get you or he, he says, um, can you give me a small loaf of bread? And she basically says, like, we're eating one more loaf of bread and then we'll die because we have no more. We only have this small jar of flour and this little oil. And he basically says, like, I think he stays with them, but he basically says, like, um, keep pouring out the flour and the oil and it won't, it will continue and it will miraculously, like, um, continue to, there will continue, miraculously continue to be flour and oil until the drought is ended and you will not starve. so that's what happened and um so they survived all the years of the drought okay so after that after a long kind of period of time the woman's son ended up getting sick and so this woman sent for elijah because he was in some other town and he sent someone back with his staff and said to lay the staff on this boy's face and that he would be so that he would be healed but when the man did that and laid the staff on his face, he was not healed. And it took Elijah to come to the house and like lay on him for the son to come back to life. But he did. I'm a little confused as to why the staff thing didn't work. It seems like things like that would have worked. And it didn't really give an explanation like why laying the staff on his on the boy's face didn't work. Um, Sometimes I feel like you can extrapolate like the lack of faith that was shown or something like that, but there wasn't really anything to go off of that I could see. So I might need more Bible commentary on that, but either way, the boy came back to life. So in 1 Kings 18, God said to Elijah after three years of this drought to go present himself to Ahab. And Ahab, remember, is the king of Israel right now. Um, so a man ran into Elijah on the road when Elijah was going to present himself and Elijah told him to go ahead and tell the King that he was there and he would be presenting himself. And the man was scared to do this. And I was confused at first as to why, because he was like, what do you want me to die? What did I do wrong? Basically that kind of thing. Um, and it was because he explained that for the past three years, they knew that Elijah was the only one who could call rain. And end the drought so he had people looking for Elijah everywhere for the last three years they were scouring the whole land to find him and no one could find him so this man thought that if he went to go and tell the king like we found Elijah and then for some reason Elijah didn't show or whatever it would be very bad for that man and he would be put to death so Elijah said like basically rest assured I will be presenting myself to the king today so the man went ahead and told him and Elijah did present himself to Ahab. So Elijah told Ahab then to summit all the prophets together. And this was basically to show everyone who was the real God. So we've seen this huge like trend of all the kings of Israel um, worshiping false gods. And Ahab was no different. They said he was very evil as well. And so part of what Elijah was doing is showing them that the God of Israel is the true god not baal and not all these idols that they they set up so what he did is he summoned this is actually like one of my favorite favorite stories of the bible and we want to name if we have a son our first son elijah just because we like the name it's biblical all of that but and i knew elijah was a prophet but i didn't actually know any of the the real stories of elijah so this is really cool to read but this part is of the bible is just so funny to me and I just, I love Elijah for this reason. So um, basically, Elijah told Ahab to summon all the prophets together. Now, these prophets were prophets of Baal. And there were, I think it said like 450 prophets of Baal. And they came together and they had two altars. So one one to Baal and, and then uh, Elijah had one basically by himself to God. And basically, they said that the sign of who the true god would be whatever god answers with fire so they would make a a burnt sacrifice and if fire came down and consumed it that is the true god and so (laughs) elijah starts and says like okay you go first and so the Baal prophets went and made their sacrifice and were dancing and they danced for like over a day i think it said and they were cutting themselves because that was like the tradition when worshiping Baal and all of this, they were desperate. And as they were desperate to plead to Baal, um, Elijah starts taunting them. And that is what I think is so funny. He goes, oh, you know, I don't think that your God can hear you. Maybe he's just asleep. I think that he's asleep. And I was like, dang, what a... You know, I don't know. It was just a hilarious thing to see this prophet, this very highly esteemed man of God, um, taunt the other prophets. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, But then, so after the Baal did not answer with fire, he told the prophets to douse his altar three different times in water. So it was soaking wet. There was a trench around it and all of that. And then he just simply prayed that God would answer him In his and consume his sacrifice with fire god came down immediately um, consumed the sacrifice with fire and the trench around it till all the water was gone so it was clear that this was the real god but he sees the prophets of Baal killed them um, and then said that there will be rain and at the time that he said that there will be rain this is um I've heard a lot of sermons about this. This is an idea I cannot claim as my own at all. Um Basically, when he said that there was rain, there was not a single cloud in the sky. There was not even a tiny wisp of a cloud. And he sent his servant to go up this mountain and go look out on the ridge and see if there were any clouds coming seven times. And when he said it there was no cloud, eventually there was a tiny little cloud. He goes, Oh, there's a tiny little cloud, but not you know, nothing much. And he goes, Go back and look again, go back and look again, seven times. And so he knew by faith that he declared that there was rain that God had promised the people, and he held on to the promise, even when it looked like it didn't it was not gonna happen in the natural world. So that is a good reminder for us. Um okay, first Kings nineteen. Jezebel is Ahab's wife. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, but um, Ahab's wife was named Jezebel. And I've heard a lot about this too in churches, like the Jezebel spirit, basically. Um, Which means, you know, I didn't really know what that was referring to. I knew it was like someone evil, but now I know it is Ahab's wife. And the reason it gets that name, the Jezebel spirit and all, and you know, it has a Terrible, terrible connotation is because of the story we are about to go over. In 1 Kings 19, um, Jezebel was told everything by Ahab um, about basically how his prophets were all killed and how um, Elijah, you know, made or God came down in fire um, on Elijah's altar and all of that. So Jezebel heard about this from Ahab and threatened to kill Elijah so Elijah ran away and this was an interesting part too where again like the best Christians the best uh, men of God men and women of God can have just terrible days because Elijah ran away and then he like threw himself a pity party out in this uh you know in the wilderness I guess and he said like why you know why am I even living why am I here he definitely had a little pity party in uh where he fled And so God said, basically, what are you doing? Get up, go eat, and then journey out here. So he journeyed for 40 days after God kind of rallied him. And then as kind of an encouragement, I think the Lord said, okay, Elijah, get up. The Lord is about to pass by. And so he did. Elijah was told to go back to the desert of Damascus, and he was told to anoint three different people. So he was told to anoint Hazael, (laughs) Hazael, king over Aram. He was supposed to anoint Jehu, who was the son of Nimshi, the king over Israel. And he was supposed to anoint Elisha as a prophet to succeed him. Basically, God said that um, those three will kill everyone except for 7,000 in Israel who haven't bowed down to Baal. And so Elijah goes and obeys and he finds Elisha, who's going to be his successor, plowing a field with oxen, and um, he, Elijah puts a new cloak on Elisha, and Elisha comes and becomes his servant. So, he now has, you know, a, like a sidekick. Um, okay, First Kings 20, Ben-Hadad mustered his army and attacked Samaria. He sent a message to Ahab, which said, basically, like, your gold and silver are mine hand it over which seemed like ahab was like okay you got me gold and silver that's fine i'll hand it over but then ben hadad said i'm sending men to search all of your um palaces and houses and everything and take it away and that rubbed ahab the wrong way because he was already it sounded like going to give the gold and silver to um ben hadad so then Ahab also mustered his army. A prophet comes and tells Ahab he will win, and he will win with junior officers leading the charge and for him to start the battle. So then Ahab's army struck down the Aramaeans and the Aramaeans fled. The prophet then said to strengthen the army for the next spring because the Aramaeans are not done attacking. They have a theory that the God of Israel is... A God of the hills and so they had this idea that next spring they'll get stronger and attack them on the plains because they figure that God must not be the God of the plains he must be the God of the hills so which is an interesting theory I guess they lived in hills so they just thought like since they live in hills he must be a God of the hills because their gods were idols and very they weren't like all-knowing all-powerful gods they were very like god of the sun god of the hills you know so they were in that mindset where like if they live in hills this god must be a god on the hills so we're going to draw them out onto a plain and surely we will win well they didn't um ahab still won the next spring in the plains and when they won ben hadad asked for his life to be spared and he makes a treaty with ahab and ahab spares him Okay, all of that seems kind of normal. But then you flash to this story where a prophet, and I don't think it names the prophet, it just says a prophet, turns to another prophet and says, strike me and, like, strike me with your sword to injure him. And the other prophet says, no, I won't do it. Which, the original prophet who wants to get struck with the sword says okay since you've disobeyed god a lion will kill you and a lion killed him so i was like that seems weird why would he want to why is it against god's will to kill him and you think this until you read the rest of the story and see the whole picture so the original prophet turns to another prophet a a different one than the original and says wound me he was wounded by another man the prophet goes down the road to meet the king Um, and the, this was an interesting one. I, in my notes, I just copied and pasted the entire dialogue because it was important. Um, but the prophet looks at the King when he's traveling in the road and said, your servant went to, went into the thick of battle. And someone came to me with a captive and said, guard this man. If he is missing, it will be your life for his life, or you must pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. And so then it says the king of Israel who's Ahab says that is your sentence you have pronounced it yourself implying that okay well obviously if you agreed that the price is a talent and the man was missing you owe a talent like you just said that. And so the prophet says exactly you have set a, a man wait you have set free a man i had i determined to die. That's what the prophet told back to the king that God said. So he said you were basically too easy on ben hadad god didn't say to spare him and so he spared him unnecessarily so at this ahab went back to his palace and sounded like he was sad uh first kings 21 nap naboth won't give ahab his vineyard okay so yeah this is a story um, another one about Jezebel. So there was a man named Naboth. I'm going to call him Naboth. I think I just pronounced it wrong as Naboth. <laughs> uh, but Naboth won't give Ahab his vineyard when Ahab, who is a king, asked for it because he says, Hey, this is like a great location. I want to grow my vegetables. Will you give me your vineyard? And Naboth says, No, this is my family inheritance. I'm not going to give it to you. Jezebel got mad. She's always meddling in Ahab's affairs. And. Jezebel got very mad and said I will get it for you so she told Naboth I mean sorry she told the leaders of the town that Naboth lived in or their town um, to a feast and have him at a seat of honor basically celebrate Naboth and Naboth oh gosh I don't know um but to celebrate him basically and then in the middle when he's like drunk and everyone's eaten and drank and all of this then accuse him and tell him that they disrespected the king and then go stone him so all of that happens and they stone him and they take uh, jezebel and ahab take this man's vineyard so because of this elijah prophesies to the king that he's going to die because he killed a man in order to take his property well, then Ahab tore his clothes, was wearing a sackcloth, fasted, all of the traditional grieving stuff we've been over and we've seen for the, the previous part of the Old Testament. And then God saw that Ahab humbled himself, so he's not going to bring any disaster uh, in Ahab's time of being king. Any disaster that will come will be after Ahab. So we do see God's like part of God's mercy here, even though Ahab really messed up and he really messed up with marrying Jezebel. Um, Okay. First Kings 22, there was peace for three years between Aram and Israel. Jehoshaphat, King of Judah went down to see the King of Israel um, and said, well, okay. So the King of Israel said Ramoth Gilead, which is like a region of the, the kingdom belongs to Judah and we're doing nothing to retake it back from the king of Aram so there's like an outsider basically the two kingdoms of Israel are now going to unite against this outsider to go take this region of land back but they said will you um will you fight with me they say yes but Jehoshaphat says to seek the counsel of the Lord so they bring together all these prophets and ask them if they should go to war. And they all say, yes, you will win. They, the Lord will uh, deliver Aram into your hands. But um, the king of Israel says, they're like, oh no, sorry. Jehoshaphat says, is there another prophet we can inquire of that actually talks to the Lord? Which was a little bit confusing because they say they called together a bunch of prophets and then Jehoshaphat says, is there not one of the Lord we can acquire? So I'm wondering if if these prophets were like fake prophets, like the ones of Baal, basically. Um, But they, yeah, so they bring together all these prophets. They say, is there another one that actually speaks to the Lord? There was only one. And the king of Israel hates him because he always um, prophesies bad things about him. So this is... Uh, Ahab Ahab hates this guy, Micaiah, because Micaiah always prophesies bad things about Ahab. So Micaiah saw, said that he saw all of Israel scattered. God is letting them be enticed by spirits. That, so the prophets are being deceived by a spirit that is telling them to prophesy the wrong thing, which, um, again, goes back to the false prophets. Although I think if if my theory is right that these are the prophets of Baal, let's say, then it might be easy to tell that they could be deceived uh, with with spirits, with deceif- deceitful spirits. So, um, But yes, they are saying the wrong thing. But that does not stop these two from going to war together. Uh, Ahab just disregards Mic- Micaiah's um, prophecy and throws him in jail. So they have this whole plan, the two kings, where uh, since... Uh, Well, I guess Ahab has this plan where he wants to be in disguise going out to battle because he thinks he'll be killed. So he tells Jehoshaphat to go out in his royal garb, but that him, Ahab, is going to disguise himself as one of the army. And they said that the enemy just fired randomly at the the crowd, like at the army, and it ended up going... Straight to Ahab who was in disguise. So he just looks like any random army member and it shot him through, not through his armor but like uh, in a crack in his armor between his armor plates and um, he ended up dying. So, I mean, the prophecy was correct that they should not go out and fight. Jehoshaphat was the son of Asa um, and he did right in the eyes of the Lord again this is an example of where they talk about Jehoshaphat for a long time as the king of Israel or as the king of Judah um, but then have not mentioned before that he is the king of Judah and then hop back to show that oh he was the son of Asa and this is the year that he became king and all of this stuff and he did right in the eyes of the Lord Um, so once Ahab died Ahaziah Ahaziah uh, who is Ahab's son, became king of Israel, and he was very evil as well. So now we're in 2 Kings, and we're going to go to 2 Kings 9. So in 2 Kings 1, after Ahab died, Moab rebelled against Israel. Uh, um, Ahaziah, the king, whatever the king's name is, uh, fell through the upper room lattice of his house. So... He was, like, on the second floor and then fell down and was injured. So he sent people to consult Baal if he would survive, which was his first mistake. God sent Elijah to intercept that messenger, and Elijah has quite the attitude. I read this as taunting again, um, but it might not be. Maybe I was reading into it because of his first taunting experience, but he said oh, is it because there is no God in Israel? You will die. Like, he he was asking, why are you going to go um, see and consult Baal? Is it because there's no God in Israel? Surely he will die. Um, so there is then a test of Elijah. A captain is sent with 50 men to tell Elijah to talk to the king. And Elijah basically calls God down and, and they say is this like a real God and those men and the captain are all consumed with fire this happens another time because he sends another captain with 50 men Um and then the king who wants to talk to Elijah sends a third captain to beg to talk to the king the angel confirms and says you can go talk to the king and he goes the king dies and Jor- Jorim, Jorim becomes king who i believe is his son in second kings 2 elijah and elisha go to Beth- bethel so i always have pronounced this bethel because of like bethel church but whenever i go on the bible app they pronounce it bethel so that's how i'm gonna do it uh <clears throat> elijah and elisha go to bethel then jericho then the jordan god leads them around and everywhere they go someone comes up to them and says do you know god is taking elijah today or they say that to Elisha. And Elisha already knows. So they already know that he is going to be taken up without dying. And they both know it's going to be today. They also, I want to talk about the point where they casually and miraculously cross the Jordan multiple times. So, so we always hear about like the Red Sea, you know, the parting of the Red Sea and parting of these waters. Like there's many miracles of parting water. And, but we really hear about the, like the Red Sea one. But we never, I don't, at least, maybe I'm out of the loop, but I've, like, never heard of all of Elisha's, Elijah and Elisha's miracles, because they need to cross the Jordan, and they just put their cloak in the water, and the water all, like, parts, and they walk through, and, I mean, that is miraculous, and it happens multiple times so then elisha knowing that elijah is about to go up and be ascended into heaven basically um he asked for a double portion of elijah's spirit when he's gone and elijah says well if you see me being taken then yes you get that if not then no and elisha saw a chariot of fire take him up and so he got double portion of elijah's spirit um, some men in that town who also saw this wanted to go search for him, which is very useless. And Elijah, Elisha even said, yes, that's useless because he's been taken up. And they say, well, maybe God's, like spit him out in another valley or something. And we'll go look for him. So that was kind of dumb, but he just let them go and was like, well, you know, fools are going to do what fools are going to do, basically. Um, and then Elisha, there was a river in the town that was poisoned, like they couldn't drink it it was undrinkable and so elijah or elisha poured water uh, salt in the water and healed it as another miracle um and then this was a weird story and i heard this on joe rogan actually he references this like well he references it a lot and it is very confusing so i might do a whole podcast episode about like what this means because Elisha, who just got a double portion of Elijah's blessing is doing all these miracles, is so wise. a couple boys came out and made fun of him and called him baldy. they're like, "Hey, baldy, there goes Baldy," and he called out bears to attack them and kill them and like maul them to death, which seems uh not like you would want to do, but I don't know. it might have been something that is not condoned um but yeah, so that was an odd one, but then let's see. Okay, Second Kings 3, Jeram is now king of Israel. He got rid of some of the gods, but not all, so it was progress. Um, the kings are uniting to fight, and they call Elisha. They're uniting to fight against Moab, the two sides of Israel, to fight against Moab because they are revolting. And Elisha says that the Lord says that they will overthrow Moab, and they do, and the king of Moab ends up sacrificing his firstborn, which was a sad story to read about. Um, Okay, 2 Kings 4, a woman says that her husband was a prophet, the the man died, and now a creditor is coming after her sons to uh, sell them into slavery to pay the debts. And he said, what do you have of value back at your home? And she said, well, all I have is this like small jar of olive oil. And she says, or uh, an Elisha says, go ask your neighbors for oil and uh, or sorry, no, go ask your neighbors for jars and get as many jars as you can. And then start pouring the small thing of olive oil into each one of the jars you get from your neighbors. And the oil will not stop pour, uh, flowing until you run out of jars, which um, I think says a couple of things. And I've, maybe this is from a sermon I've heard a long time ago, but the two things that came to mind were like, first of all, you need community because the jars are gonna stop. I mean, the oil is gonna stop once the jars are gone. If she only had one person in her community that would be willing to give her a jar, she could only have one jar of oil. So I think it emphasizes the need to have a community around you, which honestly I'm not the best at. Like I did a YouTube video and I'll probably do another one that I repost about finding a Bible study. And I like just recently found a Bible study that I like. I feel like it's really hard to find one of people my age that I enjoy hanging out with. And so that's been kind of hard. My Bible study now is like not people of my age basically um it's like i don't know 50 year old maybe like 40 year olds and up and so it's just been which i love them i i think it's really great but it's also like i have not had much luck with bible studies you know in college i didn't like it I didn't like it in, you know, after college and just now I'm finding a good Bible study, but my Bible study issues are a side note. Um, I think it's important to have community around you. Uh, And then what was the other point of this? Well, it's another miracle again. So I guess just that it doesn't seem naturally possible to have a small jar of oil and then pour it into many, many jars, you know, uh, so, she could have laughed it off, as we will see, I think, I think it's in this section, we'll see someone kind of laugh off a miracle. She could just be like, oh, that's ridiculous, and go about her way, but she was at a point of desperation, she needed this miracle, and she did it, and it worked. Um, so then, another story in this, Elijah frequented this house for meals, uh, and the woman who gave him meals made him his own room, and showed him a lot of kindness, and... He said, well, you've all done all this for me. What can I do for you? And she said, I don't really need anything. But he said, um, in about a year, you're going to get have a baby. And eventually, once the boy grew up a little bit, the boy gets sick and died. And this woman comes back to him and says, like, I didn't even ask for a kid, but you gave me one and then killed him? Like, that seems ridiculous. So, um... Elijah ends up bringing him back to life by, again, laying on him and bringing him back to life. Then there's another miracle where there is a story where there's a huge pot of stew and people put bad roots and plants in it on accident. And Elijah puts flour in and miraculously fixes the stew. And then the last miracle in this story is that there was another miracle where a small amount of bread hundreds. This is very reminiscent of the one that Jesus had with like a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish, fed hundreds of people. There was a small amount of bread that fed hundreds. Okay, in 2 Kings 5, Naaman was the army commander of Aram. He was a good soldier, they said, but had leprosy. Then a young girl from Israel that raiders had captured from Israel was uh, Naaman's wife's servant. And that girl told the wife of Elisha, I mean, told the wife of Naaman about Elisha and said that he could heal Naaman. So, Elisha was called, said to Naaman, go wash yourself seven times in this certain river. And so, Naaman turned and left and laughed it off and said, well, I thought you would heal me by doing this, this, and this. And I thought you would heal me by telling me to do, to wash in this river, because that river's better anyway. Like, and he basically was questioning how the miracle was happening and he thought his his idea was better basically than god's and he said why wouldn't you say you know you should be doing it this way and in this river and that's just not how it works like we can think that a miracle is coming in many different ways like people pray for miracles thinking sometimes i think that it'll happen a certain way but we do not know god's way and a lot of times it takes our action as well he had to go and obey and wash himself off in the river seven times. And so if he just didn't, and he laughed it off, like he kind of showed like he wanted to, uh, he would not get his miracle. So eventually he was convinced to go do it. Naaman was then convinced there was only one God, and he was healed after being convinced to come back. Um, so then Naaman, after he was healed, was so thankful that he said, you know, how can I repay you? I want to give you these talents of, of silver. And, um, you know, he said, like, Elisha didn't want money. So he just said, I don't, I don't need your money, basically. So just go ahead. But his servant, um, uh, Elisha's servant thought that Elisha let him off too easy. And so he said, um, you know, he chased him down out of the road or like down the road once Naaman left and chased him down and said, actually, um, can you give us two talents of silver? Because, uh, we, yeah, we need two talents of silver and Naaman joyfully gave it to him because he was still so thankful for the miracle. That makes sense. However, Elisha obviously did not know about this. Um and so as a in return when he found out he said that that servant got leprosy for disobeying he gets the leprosy that naaman was healed from um okay second Kings six prophets want to build a new place by the jordan they are working on it and an iron axe head falls into the river which elisha makes float elisha keeps predicting and thwarting an armenian attack and all of their attack plans so they finally go and attack the Armenians and there's a servant who is very, very scared because he sees that the Israel like Israeli army is smaller than the um Armenian Armenian no, sorry, Armenian Aramaean army. Um but Elisha prays that his eyes will be opened and the servant sees chariots of fire all around Elisha, which means that the Lord is with them. God then struck the other army with blindness, led them into Samaria, and where they prepared this big feast and ate. And so they went back and stopped attacking the territory. And I got from this that when you treat your enemies well, they will treat you well. There was a very similar story I told that the Robertson family from Duck Dynasty um, told where people were stealing his fish. And... Um, once he started giving them the fish, they stopped stealing their fish and stopped asking for fish. So um, it reminded me of that. Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, besieged Samaria and caused a famine, like a man-made famine, because nothing could go in or out of the city. And a woman said that she had made a deal with another woman to eat her son, like that they would both eat their her son that day, and then the next day they would eat her son. But the next day the other lady hid her son. So she was heartbroken and asked to do something and the king tore his clothes and vowed to kill Elijah because Elijah, you know, they were attacking. So in Second Kings 7, because of this forced famine, flour was very, very expensive because there was nothing coming in in or out. Four men with leprosy are sit- seen sitting at a gate and they realize basically they're dying either way. There's a famine in, in the city and if they go out to the camp, if they die, like they were gonna die anyway. So they wander out to the enemy camp, and they see that it's empty. They eat a bunch of it. They bring word back about the empty camp. And they realize, or what the Bible tells us, is that God had sent confusion, like all these noises, fake horses, chariots, all this stuff. They thought that they were under attack, the enemy army. So they ran away. People eventually believed that the um, army like camp was truly empty. Abandoned and went out and plundered the enemy camp, and the flour, since they got so much flour and all this stuff, ended up being the exact price that Elisha had prophesied. Now, when he prophesied the flour price of the next day, he said, "You know, it's very expensive. Tomorrow, it's going to be this price," and it was very cheap. And this man said, "Is that even possible? Like, even if the Lord rains down bread, like that's not possible." And he said well you will see that the price is this but you will not get to eat any the man who said that who who doubted the price saw what had happened but then got trampled on the way out to the camp so he never got to eat any so it fulfilled that prophecy which is a little bit dark but you know it came true okay so then the woman whose son was healed and brought back to life had left during the famine um, because elisha knew that there would be a famine So he had told them to leave and to save her family. So she had left and lived with the Philistines um, during the famine. But at this point, once the famine was over, she returned and she got her land given back to her and also returned because she was basically given favor with Elisha and the king. So then Ben-Hadad was sick and asked Elisha if he will survive and he says, um, well, okay, basically Ben-Hadad was sick and he sends Hazael who is like his successor, will be his successor um, he sends Hazael to go talk to Elisha and asks if Elisha will ask if he will survive Elisha says, well, you will recover from this sickness, but he will die. Elisha starts weeping talking to Hazael because he knows that he is the one that will kill him and sin so greatly and it comes true almost immediately and Hazael goes back and kills well he you know Ben-Hadad recovers as was predicted but then the next day um uh Hazael like suffocates the king then the king of Judah becomes Jehoram. wait married daughter. King of Judah became Jehoram, married daughter of Ahab. Um, Edom rose up in rebellion against Judah. Ahaziah succeeded uh, Jehoram and there were many battles. Uh, Ahaziah went to see Joram in this battle and was wounded. There was a lot going on in this chapter, but it was basically that um, Edom rebelled and there were battles and someone was wounded. <laughs> um, okay, First Kings 9, Elisha summoned a prophet and said, take a- this flask of olive oil and go to Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, and anoint him king over Israel. The prophet did that and said, you are to destroy Ahab and avenge the deaths caused by Jezebel. So Jezebel still causing issues this many, this much time later. Um, Jehu kills Joram and uh, Ahaziah. Jehu then went to find Jezreel to find him. These these people are all from different, different places, but Jehu went to Jezreel to find him. Ah, Ahaziah <laughs> in Judah saw what happened and he killed him as well and then you know this is what we all have been waiting for and a great place to end it for today jezebel dies as is prophesied and she is eaten by dogs all that it said was left was like her head and her hands and feet and the rest of her was eaten by dogs and she was truly the most evil character we've seen of all of them the kings did a lot of evil but she was way more evil than any of them so good ending good stopping point. point first kings nine jezebel finally dies so that is our Bible episode. This is kind of a long one. So thank you for listening. Thank you for um, giving your feedback if you have any, what you want to hear um, more if you want like more Bible commentary. If you want me to dig into like specific verses or anything, I would love for your, your feedback. Also I would love if you could go leave a review at in the Apple podcast app. That would really help with a five star review, hopefully. And maybe a little written thing. And so that will help the algorithm push the podcast out to more people. Anyway, thank you all for listening again. I'm off to go play a tennis match. Wish me luck. Uh, I am excited to play again. So I will see you on Monday for our new uh, Monday topic. I'm not exactly sure what it is yet, but also be watching on YouTube. Go follow Abby Rancor on YouTube. It's just same exact name go follow and subscribe to my YouTube channel because videos will be posted soon. Thank you for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend. Bye.